You're listening to the Housing Diversity Network's second podcast series with your host, Stuart Wilkin. HDN exists to promote equality, diversity and inclusion in the housing sector and beyond. Hi and welcome to the seventh episode of the Housing Diversity Network podcast series. Today I'm talking to Fiza Qureshi, the CEO of the Migrant Rights Network. Hi Fiza, uh, you're, you're clearly a very, very busy person at the moment. Just tell me what's uh, what's keeping you the busiest over the last few days. Um, hi, and thank you for kind of giving me this opportunity to talk about what we're um, kind of backed up with. Um, so this government essentially is keeping us busy, um, especially our um, Home Secretary, Priti Patel. She's um, unfortunately not on the side of migrants and refugees and um, has been bringing policies left, right and centre that are really damaging and harmful to ref- especially refugee communities. And um, it's kept the sector um, and us incredibly busy in terms of responding to it, challenging it, um, trying to find ways to get the uh, government and its political affiliates to basically recognise the, the the damage that these kind of policies are going to do. So you've got the Nationality and Borders Bill, which is um, has been voted on and fortunately passed by the House of Commons, but um, fortunately with the House of Lords has been... Um, challenged um so on a number of those uh, points that they've they they are trying to bring forward so there's a positive there around you know we do have a, a, a group of politicians who aren't backing what the government is trying to impose which is essentially criminalizing refugees for how they arrive in the UK um and then if and when they are here kind of making their lives a lot more difficult um as well as depriving um, British citizens without notice, which is another element that they brought in, um, even though deprivation has been around for a lot longer, unfortunately. Um, And now we've got issues around, obviously, we've got a number of conflicts around the world that have um, been taking place. Um, Afghanistan is kind of one example. I'm not saying it's it's the most recent, but obviously with the Taliban coming into power, the issue around people fleeing Afghanistan and seeking refuge. And unfortunately, what you have, those who have been able to come to the UK are now languishing in kind of hotel accommodation and not being able to be moved on. Um, and then you've got the conflict that's arisen with uh, in, in Ukraine, which is obviously... Uh, terrifying because it's even closer. Um, but and the scheme um, that the kind of government has created, which is uh, essentially applied to come to the UK, a visa scheme, which um, is really cumbersome. It's uh, already problematic. It doesn't work. And so, again, people are stuck in uh, other parts of Europe or they're stuck in Ukraine and not able to come to be with either family that they have here or people who are opening their doors and their their, their homes to um, to those um, refugees. Um, but yeah, essentially, we've just got very problematic immigration refugee mm. policies at the moment. Mm. So there are two big issues, the refugee um, crises around the world from, from all parts of the world and then the hostile environment, or what should I say hostile, but the hostile legislation potentially that's making it more difficult when 
people arrive here. So, so what what do you do day by day to try and counter this? I mean, are you, are you fighting an uphill battle or are you climbing to the top? Um, I think it will always be an uphill battle, unfortunately, because you think you have an ability to challenge something. So taking something to the courts or, a, you know, a really kind of robust campaign that's got public backing. Um, and then you will find the government come in with another policy that just kind of usurps the previous one or it um, just finds a it finds a loophole around uh, around the issue that you kind of might win. Um, so you have you talked about hostile environment policies. I mean, that's what they brought in from 2012. I mean, Theresa May kind of used that language and we know that it's been used before actually by Labour as well, um, unfortunately. But, you know, the idea is to make it really, really difficult for people, uh, for certain groups of migrants to be in the UK. But the repercussions are, firstly, it's it, it's inhumane to make anyone's life a misery um, in, in being in the UK so that, you know, taking away the right to, to shelter, etc., but on top of it, you you consequently kind of, um, uh, you know, it, it impacts other migrant communities so or racialized communities. So I myself am from a Pakistani background. You know, um, if I go to rent accommodation, I'm going to be quizzed a lot more potentially around my immigration status. Um, um, do I have the right to rent? Um, you know, and those kinds of things. So there is that discrimination which we know exists within society is kind of heightened in certain areas for migrant communities. Um, and this is just, yeah, so it's all kind of being compounded and, and really worrying. So we essentially work with um, affected communities, so migrant groups who are directly impacted by the immigration policies and campaign um, alongside them. So we are not doing it on their behalf, we're doing it with them and co-creating the campaigns so that they have um, an equal say in what we take forward. So in the past, we worked with a highly skilled migrant group, um, and this was a visa um uh, kind of route for mm -hmm. certain groups of people to be able to come and be self-employed and, you know, um, you know, uh, quote unquote, wanted by the UK because they will contribute. Yeah. Um, Could you give me an example of those, yeah. uh, the, the wanted? The wanted are, you know, NHS workers, IT engineers, etc. So they were highly skilled in the sense that they had qualifications that the UK wants, you know, they want those people in those roles. Um, what they found, though, is when they when they came to a point where they could um, uh, apply for settlement, so indefinite leave to remain, that's when they found that actually that's when the UK doesn't really want them. It doesn't want them to settle. It created quite a lot of issues for those individuals based on their tax amendment and financial history, which um, largely HMRC was satisfied with, you know, um, everyone has tax, tax amendments. I have them get that letter annually saying I haven't paid enough tax it'll get taken off me and they had similar situations and as self-employed business owners um, they had resolved the, uh, those issues with the you know HMRC and the tax office but the home office used that evidence against them uh, and claimed that they were being dishonest and they weren't of good character and this is a quote-unquote it's, I say it's quote unquote, it's like it's an actual label that is used by the Home Office to uh, to talk about who they do and don't want to be and don't want to, uh, to live in the UK. Um, and they were basically labelled alongside um, 
people who are not conducive to public good. So essentially people who've been maybe accused of or are, um, committed terrorist offences. Mm. And uh, those individuals then ended up in this kind of limbo state where they don't have the right to be right to be in the UK any longer but they also have this label on them which means that they can't travel anywhere else mm -hmm. because you've been refused on those grounds and so they um, there was about 400, 400 of them originally they've campaigned they protested they've gone to their MPs um, they've done a lot for themselves which is brilliant and we just worked with them to basically consolidate and collate the information to really present it to the kind of politicians. Mm -hmm. And they're now down to, you know, in their 20s in terms of those who are affected. But it's wow. been a long campaign. Yeah. I mean, this is an issue that's affected them since 2017. Mm -hmm. And we're now at a point where individuals uh, know what their situation is going to be in the UK, you know, how, how long they can reside here and build their lives basically mm. back up from where, where it was. Mm. Back in April, um, the Home Office um, came up with the idea of uh, taking, when, when boats were coming into the south coast of the UK, mm. having a look at the people that were in there and looking at men, single men, and effectively subcontracting them out to Rwanda. <laughs> what was that all about? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just recently been announced that there will be an offshore detention centre in Rwanda. Right. And uh, so the idea is, yes, just to pick up certain individuals like, um, who arrive by those boats, boats um, and um, put them on a flight to Rwanda. And then they will basically end up in goodness knows what conditions mm. um, and uh, because it's so fresh and new, it's really sparse on kind of um, on the details. But, yeah. you know, what rights will those individuals have? What, um, you know, Rwanda itself doesn't have a great record yeah. on human rights. So how can we expect uh, another country to be, um, you know, supporting and protecting these individuals, which is what mm. our duty is. Mm. So uh, really, again, very worrying developments and we've seen it happen and take place with Australia and mm. there are many, many, many examples of how bad uh, that situation was there. Um, so I can't see this um, go faring in any way um, well at all for those people who get stuck there. Do you, do you think it's a case of the Home Office particularly um, playing to the crowd again and just you know, effectively going down the populist route. Uh, Just another little nudge down the hostile environment. Um, it's really difficult to tell because you've got this more positive public opinion since the conflict in Ukraine around Ukrainian yeah. refugees. You've yeah. got people saying, hey, why, you know, you've got, you've got the right-wing press saying, why is this scheme not working? Mm -hmm. Which is um, not yeah. the usual stance. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Yes, and then you've got, you know, sites like pandering to all those people who want um, those controls on immigration mm -hmm. and have been fed all these, uh, you know, misinformation, I would say, around uh, that we're swamped or where there's an influx, mm -hmm. etc. All this, mm -hmm. um, the stuff that comes up in certain media and by certain politicians, yeah. I think they've... I just, yeah, it's really unclear, like, who's driving this agenda anymore. So, yeah. but it's also possible that, um, not say possible, it's probably very likely, actually, 
that they are deflecting. Mm. So here we're trying to solve this issue and here's how we're going to do it to deflect from all the other issues that are in existence in our political environment. So we've got austerity policies, et cetera, the impact that there already is there. Uh, it's being demonstrated very visibly. So here's here's a group that we can scapegoat mm-hmm. and say, these, are the, these guys have created the issue over here yeah. around austerity. Once we've resolved this, we'll be back, you know, we'll all be back to, uh, um, you know, kind of back to good times. Um, So I think, and it's very easy to scapegoat migrants. It has been for decades, unfortunately. Um, One, you know, it's, yeah, it's just the way that our politicians and media have really kind of framed this kind of boogeyman and it's migrants, refugees at the moment. Okay. Or again, I should say. Again, let's yeah. let's move away from uh, politics to the practicalities. Then, so in social housing, how do how do you help migrants uh, in the social housing sphere? Uh, what hurdles do you have to jump over, and how do you get them over there? Yeah, so as I mentioned, that at the moment there are issues around accommodation for a lot of refugees and migrants. Um, one of the key things that we produced is a Know Your Rights Guide. And uh, so, again, one of the things that we do is try and create resources and tools that are going to um, empower and equip migrants and, and refugee communities to be able to challenge, you know, those policies when when they are kind of facing them um, and then who to turn to support in those cases. So um, we create this guide, which kind of gives information around uh, social, you know, no recourse to public funds, um, social services, right to rent, so housing. So it is really about making sure that that information gets trickled down to those communities so that when they are being faced with a landlord that's unfairly uh, harassing them around their immigration status, et cetera, they know how to challenge it or they know who to turn to and to get that support. Um, we've been working for, we've been working with, for example, our HAG Housing Association for um, a number of years now, um, very close partner. And it's about kind of, again, um, working with them to ensure that they also know what the issues are that um, migrant and refugee communities face. So I think because there is this, seems to be lack of information around um, what happens to those communities when, well, you know, prior and when they arrive in the UK um, and then how uh, they need that kind of additional support, um, sometimes handholding, many times not. They just need to be, they, they just need to know what their rights are um, and, again, um, who can help them. Um, so it is also about making sure that that information around, uh, yeah, what their experience is and how those social housing providers can support them when they are when they have um, communities like that, um, you know, that they're ha- housed in their accommodation. Mm. And how open and receptive are the housing associations? Um, I mean, don't, don't name any. No. But <laughs> <laughs> in general, how do you find uh, them? Some more than others. I think some providers don't feel it's like their duty to challenge uh, kind of policies, um, which we would say it's disappointing because actually they they tend to have a larger voice, can make more of an impact. Um, they have a lot more funding that they can actually, you know, so resources to, to kind of challenge it. Um, and others who are much more willing to actually, we want to make sure that we are a meeting to our own objectives on our agenda and making sure that the you know when we talk about migrant refugee communities we're we're not just doing it as lip service it's not tokenistic we're actually doing something for them as well so 
it's, it's a mixed bag. And, um, but that, that's reflective of other sectors. You will always have some who see it as, their, as part of their objectives and duty and others who will say, well, no, we're a landlord and we need to take care of those who we um, house now. How much busy do you think you're going to get over the next few months? I mean, this is a, it's a bit of a wide question, isn't it? But have you got enough resource to be able to, uh, within the network, to be able to cope? Um, there's, I mean, we are a very, very small organisation. So even though we've got network in our name, it's a very, it's not a formal membership. And um, so it's more about partnering, collaborating. And I think the migrant refugee sector is always struggling for resources. Um, and that's because we are having to be so reactive to what's coming out. Um, over the next couple of months, it's probably going to look like um starting to strategize around how you challenge the 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 law that's going to be brought forward the nationality and borders bill um and yeah start to work with others to really build a campaign that can challenge certain aspects um keep it in the public domain because again once it's passed it it tends to fall out, fall out of people's minds um and then Again, just showing solidarity with those who are affected. So the migrant refugee communities themselves who are going to bear the brunt of this is uh, making sure that they they are aware, fully aware that um, there it, there's like a mass of people out there who are on this on their side and in their corner. Um, and I think that's going to be like the key thing. But also to get other sectors, so the housing sector, to be more vocal on this, possibly, well, hopefully in the in the near future, um, that would be that would be really great. And what can, what can we at the Housing Diversity Network do to take a bit of the weight off your shoulders? Yeah, I mean, one thing is, um, yeah, hold more events and webinars around it. So informing those who are in the housing sector how these policies are evolving, how they will trickle down and impact. Uh, not just people that they're housing, but also maybe them uh, as part of the sector as well. Um, and yeah, see if you can kind of build some momentum um, within the, the the network to to be a a voice around this issue as well, like in in kind of in parallel. Because um, at the moment, what we do need is that diversity of voices. So it's not just the migrant refugee sector who some would say, well, yes, of course you don't want these things to happen because that's your cause and your passion. So we need others to come forward and say, well, we equally do not agree with what's what's been put forward. Well, we'll certainly do our best. So my last question then, Fizzle, what, what drives you? You're doing a lot of work for the Migrants Network. Um, what drives you? What gets you up in the morning? Um, what makes you happy? What are your achievements <laughs> that you're proud of? Um, what drives me is a sense of justice um, and to not... I know I can't, I'm not going to be able to rectify everything that's there, but um, chipping away at it at least and making sure that, again, those migrants, refugees see that I'm standing in solidarity with them. I am not, um, and recognizing my power and my privilege when I'm doing that as well is really important. Um, I think it's also about just recognizing that these immigration policies have these racist foundations and undertones and that to be. Um, kind of almost uh, considered it jointly uh, more and um, 
and for others to really understand the history of our immigration policies and how we can, yeah, how we need to be proactively challenge them. They're not going to benefit anyone in the long run. Um, and then what makes me happy, to be honest, um, is uh, my kids at the moment, um, just uh, when they are just just watching them and seeing them grow up and hopefully I can... Um, not completely mould, but kind of have two kids who are really going to, you know, really um, build the compassion within them so that in the near future, the other generations, that we don't have this situation where we're talking about offshore detention or um, borders bills and talking about, um, yeah, dehumanising and criminalising people, basically. I hope the future generations do much, much better than where we're at now. Fizzer, how can people get involved and help you at the um, at the Migrants Rights Network? So um, we are always well. We always welcome volunteers, people who can give us their support in different ways. Um, as I said, we're very small. We're we're a team of six, um, and have to cover comms, policy, etc. Um, so always welcome expertise from others. And uh, and then the other very frank way is donations um we are reliant on trusts and foundations and there is more competition for that funding those funding pots and you have to innovate more and more around to get those grants sometimes so we are also really um open to people um you know, giving what they can, contributing what they can. And if it's not financial, then can can we use your skills in any way? That would be amazing, really, how they give. And also just, you know, amplifying what we put out on via our social media platform um, and then also signing up to our newsletter. So you are getting, um, you know, up-to-date information on what's happening in the migrant and refugee sector and news and events, etc. So that's that would be another another route. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're doing a brilliant job, Fizzer, and thanks very much for talking to us today at HDM. Thank you.